Father, it is a privilege to come here this morning to worship you, to give you thanks and praise, Lord, for all that you do for us. Uh, Lord, that you would give your own son on the cross to die for us and redeem us and, Lord, to reconcile us to you through his death and resurrection. We thank you for the unity that we have in Christ. We thank you for the family and the fellowship we have in Christ. Lord, I just want to pray over your church this morning words of encouragement. Many of us, Lord God, each day find it difficult just to get up, to deal with pain, uh, to deal with hardship. And yet, Lord, you give us an eternal hope that, that transcends all our difficulties on this earth knowing that we have fellowship with Christ now and will spend eternity with him forever. Lord, I pray that you encourage us, Lord God, to live each day to your glory. Lord, to remember the truths of your word. And Lord, to make it through the difficult times in our life, knowing that this is not all that we have. But there is something greater waiting for us. Eternity with your son forever and ever. Lord, we thank you, Father, for Claire this morning, Lord God, who had, a, had surgery this week on Friday. We thank you and praise you, Lord God, that that surgery was successful and our dear sister in Christ is recovering, Lord God. Her life is a testimony to those around her, Lord God, because she knows Jesus Christ as Savior. And Lord God, we pray for strength in her recovery we pray to see her back in our fellowship, Lord God, as soon as you will, Lord. We pray for David and Stephanie and Naya, Lord God, as they're on this sabbatical, Lord God. They serve us, they serve us sacrificially, Lord God, unto you. They give all that they have, Lord, each Lord's Day, Lord, to bring music and song that's that Elevate the name of your Son and the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, I pray it would be a refreshing time for them, Lord God, a profitable time, Lord, in your word, as David even now is preparing to see where you would lead him, Lord, in the opportunities that you would give him. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have a Savior that sits at the right hand of you, Father, that intercedes on our behalf and makes every word we say, every prayer that we pray, perfect to your ears. We give you thanks and praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Maybe things have not gone as planned this morning, but I think that's just a little taste of sort of what we're going to speak about, about in ministry. Ministry does, isn't always neat and clean, doesn't always go the way that it's supposed to go, and you, you got to witness that this morning, and yet we had everything go, what I would say, to the glory and honor of God. So that, that is just the way he wants it, whether things may not look the way that it's supposed to go. So I, uh, early in, in ministry with my wife and I, and particularly with me, uh, early on, I just remember all I wanted to do 
was to serve the Lord. But I do remember it being a little tough, and I remember uh, two incidences, one early on, one recently, and one early on was, you know, a well-meaning elder, uh, and I think he probably had it right in some ways, my immaturity as, as a believer or maybe in leadership, but they had said something to me, and they said, you should never be an elder. You should never be in ministry. And, I, and again, I think maybe well-meaning in the way that they were seeing things, and yet it was almost like someone just took a knife and, and stuck it through. And I remember that, and I remember going to the Lord and just saying, I don't understand. Like, I don't get it. Like, I, I want to serve you. I want to be in ministry. I want to do this. And why is it so emotional, so hard, so difficult? And recently, um, sleepless nights. You know, I tried laying like this. I don't know if you've ever done this. You're like, I want to go sleep. I want to go to sleep. And my eyes are open. And somebody, a former member, just I had heard was saying something and I, I, uh, in regard to me, and I, I couldn't get to them to say, you know, I apologize, I'm sorry, can we talk about this? And it's, it's a hard thing. So I'm sharing these things with you because we're going to be talking about service and ministry and Elijah's life and what it was like in his life and maybe what it's like in your life. You, you, you love the Lord. You, you are a believer. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and yet you could serve the Lord and be like, what in the world is going on? And then we're, we're going to go through this this morning just to see what the Lord did for Elijah is what he does for us as well. It's a, it's a difficult thing to be in service. But listen to these. these uh, it's a difficult thing, but it's the most amazing thing in the world. So I need to say that. To be called by the Lord to serve him, to share the gospel in the world. So if you want, I don't know if you're a note taker. I don't know if you take notes, but um, I have a lot of, I think the best notes you can take are verses. So I'll read some verses and just take those notes down. You can look at them later. But this one is Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The Lord looks at service in this way. Look at it this way. The Bible says love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Is that not what we're supposed to be doing? Being devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality, Romans 12, 9 to 13. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we're going to see Elijah here this morning. We're going to see him struggling. And I had to, um, just a, I guess a, a little funny story, maybe it's not that funny, but I was kind of walking around the house as I study for my sermons. I do it in a little different way not traditional, you know, in an office, like reading books. And so I'm like rollerblading down the block and I'm just talking to the Lord and I'm listening to sermons and doing that kind of thing. So I was not rollerblading in the house, but I was walking around the house and Linda could hear me saying something. I don't know exactly the effect of it was, but it was like, oh, Elijah, come on. What are you being a baby? It's like, oh, someone's trying to kill you and, and that kind of thing. And my wife, who was putting me kind of on the straight, she said, you know, yeah, someone's trying to kill me. I'm going to run away. 
And that's what Elijah's doing. And some people look at this section, uh, portion, and say, he was completely wrong, he, he shouldn't have done that, he shouldn't have run away, we're going to get into all that, but I was just thinking about this, that my first point was the weight of service. That when we serve the Lord, it's difficult and it's hard if we do it in our own strength. If you try to do it in your own strength, there's so much weight on you, you'll be face down on the ground and won't be able to get up. And, and there is a weight of service, and we're going to see that with Elijah. So if you can get to, I don't know the, the page in your Bible, your pew Bible, but it is 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more so if by about this time tomorrow I do not make your life the life of one of them. And he was afraid and got up and ran for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat under a broom tree and asked for himself to die. And he said, Enough! Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay down and fell asleep under a broom tree, but behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. And he looked, and behold, was at his head a round loaf of bread, baked on hot coals and a pitcher of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. But the angel of the Lord came back to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too long for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he journeyed in the strength of that food for forty days and 40 nights to Harab, the mountain of God. Here's Elijah. He's coming off the mountaintop. He's coming off Mount Carmel where God did an amazing miracle. And all the people, remember, all the people of Israel are saying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God, after they were serving Baal. So amazing things happen. And yet we get to this section of Scripture and I'm thinking, Elijah's thinking, things aren't going to go this way. He is running in front of Ahab's chariot, going to where Jezebel is. But I'm, I'm guessing in his mind, he may be saying, this is going to be great. Ahab's going to walk in and say all the things that God had done. And yet Ahab lies. He's very consistent in his sin. He, he's very much like himself all the time, against God, an enemy of God, even though he's the king of Israel. And, and he goes to Jezebel and he says, look at all Elijah did. He killed your prophets. Of course she's going to be angry. Of course she's going to be mad. And it's a sad thing that Ahab here is just against God in every way. You know, Look what God did in Carmel. He, he brought fire from heaven. He was able to have the people say, the Lord, he is God. And, and look at Elijah. We have a different Elijah here now. 
He is fearful and terrified, and he is running. Before we had God say to him, go to the brook, and God took care of him. Go to the widow, and God took care of him. Look at all the mighty miracles that happened. Go to Mount Carmel, and God took care of him there, the only one against all those people. And yet now we have Elijah with a different mindset. God, at this point, did not say, Elijah, run for your life. Be terrified. He didn't say that. He actually, we don't see he say anything to him. But Elijah takes it upon himself to run. Listen to James 5. The prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured, and the earth produced fruit. Elijah, you wouldn't know it if it wasn't written, but he was like us. All the other times that we've seen him, you wouldn't have thought he was like us. And now, I'm looking at scripture, and he's running for his life. I'm like, I can relate. Because my, my feet at, and my car, and I may not be driving to Canada to get away from everything, but my heart and my mind and my soul are like, ah, I want to get out of here. Uh, and some people are not like that. I'm a runner. You may be an angry person. You may be a person standing there yelling and screaming at people or being ultra critical. Or you may be a depressed person. You may be having the weight on you of your life or service or ministry and you act in a certain way just like Elijah if we are not putting our minds, having our minds on God. And it's easy, right? I just said it. It's easy. No, it's not. It's not an easy thing to do. We are fragile, we are sinful, and we need a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. Think of Moses and Paul and Jonah and Peter. Peter. I must be hungry. Peter. Peter. I, I see him all the time weeping in my mind. I imagine what that was like to be weeping and being sad that he feels like his, his life is over because he went against the Lord, and yet the Lord restores him. Look at that. Look at what God does. And this is what God is going to do for Elijah. He's going to restore him. He's going to, he's going to encourage him. He's going to love on him, whether we think he's doing the wrong thing or not. And is that not helpful for us in ministry? Because you are people in front of you where you're, you're thinking, man, you're doing the wrong thing and you're bothering me. Right? You, but we should be like Jesus and like him and pray that we could be like him to shower people with grace and mercy and love when they have the weight of the world on them. Let's just think about our minds for a minute. Listen to Colossians 3, 1 to 8. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. 
Now, here's Elisha. He was the most amazing man of prayer. And yet when he's running and getting to that broom tree and lying down and saying, God, just take my life, we don't see him praying like he was on Mount Carmel. We don't see him praying like he did over the widow's son. We see him in a different light because he is not doing the things that he had done before. Isaiah 26.3, actually Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves in prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Isaiah 26.3, he's steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Romans 12, 2. Do you get the point? I'm kind of staying on this for a little bit. Our minds are so fragile. I, I, my weight, some of you have known me for 30 years, have gone up and it's gone down and it's gone sideways, it's gone backwards. My, my weight's all over the place. And I try Weight Watchers sometimes. And they always talk about the mind and, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to try, I'm going to do my points, and I'm going to try not to overeat, and I'm going to just, in my mind, know this week, I'm not going to eat any candy. I'm not going to have any Snickers. I'm not going to have any Twix. I'm not going to have any Reese's. You know, I know all the candies, because I eat them all. And I'm not going to have any. I'm not going to have a lollipop. I'm just not. I was so good. I was great. I went to bed, and I had a dream. I was in Uncle Giuseppe's with that man walking behind me singing. And I was eating candy. I woke up so hungry for candy. My mind was like, you're going to eat some candy. I don't want to eat candy. I don't want to be sad. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to do those things. And the only thing I find is saying, Lord, help me. And you might say, oh, that, that's not so deep. No, it's not. It's, Lord, help me. Help me. I need your help. It's also ironic here that, that Elijah is like, he's running from Jezebel because why is he fearful? She's going to kill him. And yet he says to God, kill me. I'm reading the scripture. I'm saying, this makes no sense. You're saying, you're saying, Jezebel's going to kill you. You're running, and you're afraid to die, and yet you're laying there saying, God, you know what? I'm done. Just kill me. And praise the Lord. God does not answer all of our prayers. Imagine if he was, oh, so sure, Elijah, and just killed him. He, he didn't answer that prayer. Praise the Lord. And just the mind is so important here. And I think about, I, I was doing some reading and just thinking about pastors and people in ministry and people serving and I remember we had a pastor here one time and uh, I see him on Facebook every once in a while and he posted something and it said I did he wrote I didn't know being a pastor my life expectancy would be less than everybody's everyone else's and you might think that's a joke but it's actually not I mean people in ministry take upon so much upon themselves I won't go through the whole thing with you but I will tell you that an amazing statistic that if you're in ministry and you're a pastor, it's not 5%, it's not 10%, it's not 30%, it's 42% who right now at this moment want to quit their job. That's almost half. And, and they say the reason is stress. 
The number one reason, stress. Number two, being alone. Not having anyone there for them. Feeling alone, even if they're not. Even if they're staring out at people who are looking back at them, they still feel alone. The other one I didn't quite, not that I don't understand, but I don't think we have anybody. The third reason was political division in their church. That was the third reason that they decided that they would like to get out of ministry. But it's sad. It's so sad. I, one of the things that helped me, um, when I was a young Christian, I would listen to the radio all the time, and I, Chuck Swindoll had this thing, and it, it's, a, it's called, this, I'm sure you heard of it, it's a, it's a poem or a, a prayer that he wrote about attitude. But I kind of added in there being thankful, a thankful attitude, and uh, Keith Schwamm, the other day at our elder meeting, um, I asked him to do a devotion, and he did this great devotion on being thankful. And I was like, oh, I didn't even have that in there. So uh, being thankful, your mind needs to be thankful about the things that the Lord has done. So listen to this, what Chuck Swindoll wrote. He wrote, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on my life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance and giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, make or break a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we all have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. And I would say the attitude of a thankful heart in the Lord for what the Lord has done. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we could do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude, and your attitude comes from your mind. And our minds need to be connected to the Lord. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to you and happens to me, and 90% how we react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. We're in charge. We, we actually, whether Elijah felt like it or not, or whether you feel like it or not, you have an amazing power through the Holy Spirit in your life to be able to say, God, take control of my mind. This may seem silly to you, but I've always, I've, and I don't know if it's theologically right or not. I'll just tell you what I do. I just say, Lord, please, today, Empty me in my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. My mind, my heart, my soul, may I be yours today. Simple. It, it's my prayer that I pray to the Lord. And, and I don't know what you do. And obviously backing that up with Scripture and trying to get up in the morning. I've tried the 5 a.m. thing. I've tried the 6 a.m. thing. I've tried, you know, oh, all right, I'll do it tomorrow kind of thing. But if you can be consistent in praying to the Lord. The Bible says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out only for your own interests, but take, look out for the interests of others, too, in Philippians. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Just remember, the mind is so strong. Listen to some verses, and we'll move on to the next point. We stayed, just so you know, you're probably saying, oh my gosh, we're going to be here for like 12 hours. Don't worry about it, because my first point is the longest, and the last two are a little shorter. But I just wanted to hang out there a little bit on the mind and how important it is. Psalm 52:22. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. 
He will never let the righteous be shaken. Well, just listen to that again. Psalm 52, 22. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. He will never. And look what God does here. Elijah is woken up by the angel of the Lord. He's woken up. God is ministering and taking care of him and feeding him just like he always has. Whether Elijah went the wrong way or not, God has not left him. God is still there and God is taking care of him and he will take care of you. You make a wrong turn, God will be there with you, but you need, even though Elijah made a wrong turn, he was still talking to God. He was still saying, kill me, I'm done, but he was still talking to God. I love that point, that he's still talking to God and being honest to God, and do you know what? You could do the same thing. You could do the same thing and talk to God. The Lord at this point in our story, he's in control. He, he is ministering to Elijah, and he's going to move him in the right direction. No more running in the wrong direction. Elijah will now spend time with God. He's going to walk the same desert that Moses walked and the Israelites for 40 years. He will walk it for 40 days and 40 nights. He's going to walk for about 200 miles. Sounds like a lot. He is going to the mountain of God. It says in the Bible, Mount Horeb, better known as Mount Sinai. That's where he's going. Exodus 31.18, when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Elijah is in God's hands, and God is moving him just where he wants him to be. My, my second point, the first point which I'm sure you got because I kept going over and over and over again is the weight of service. There's a weight of service, but it doesn't have to be that way if you give it to God. And the glory of service. There's a great glory of service if you're able to spend time with God and give everything to Him and listen to Him. So in verse 9, it says, Then he came there to a cave. And spent the night there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, for the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. So he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and powerful wind was tearing up the mountains and breaking the rocks to pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. And the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, for the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. The Lord said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king over Aram, you shall anoint Zehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and you shall anoint Elisha, the son of 
Shaphat of Abel, Moroah, as prophet in your place. And it shall come about that the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. At work, we have this, this great thing where if you're a manager, uh, you'll have a one-on-one with an employee. It, it really, all it means is that you're taking the time to sit one-on-one with an employee and ask them some questions. How's it going? Then I just sit back and you just listen. What's going right? I just don't say anything. I just listen. What's going wrong? And you, you sit there and you, you're saying in your silence, I care about you. I, I care what's going on. We are a team and we work together. And I want to support you. And I need your support. I can't do it alone. And we have these great one-on-ones. And I thought about this this week. I'm like, Elijah's getting a one-on-one here. He's a one-on-one one-on-one with God. Alone time that you should have as well with God. One-on-one. Just listening to what God has to say. Look, Elijah here, he feels like a failure. He has the weight on his shoulders that's basically saying, all of Israel is my responsibility. If they fail, it's my fault. That's what I'm getting at when you read it. That's not true. It's not true. If you're administering and you're serving in the church and things aren't going wrong, you may feel like, it's my fault. And that may be true in some sense where maybe you did something, but in general, it's not your responsibility. The gospel is God's. People coming to know him and to love him is God's, not ours. He's giving us the ability to be able to serve him. And the, he's honoring us to let us do that, but it's all him, and he does, he does it through us. So Elijah here is saying, I think what he's saying is, I want to die, I'm depressed, because things aren't going the way I think they're supposed to go. You know, Alistair Begg said it this way, it's as if Elijah was walking by sight, and not by faith. He's walking by what he could see, but not what actually God is doing. Oh, years ago, um, the dear saint in the Lord, Mrs. Foray, I don't know if you remember her, but I was standing in the back, and I think she could see the weight of life on me. I, I think she could see, I was a young father, we had kids, I don't know, but she stood before me and she said, who are you? And immediately I thought, well, she lost her mind because she knows my name's Mark Harrigan, and I, I'm, I'm, I was going to say I'm Mark Harrigan, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't say that, but she didn't mean who am I? Because she answered the question. You are a father. You are a husband. This dear saint was trying to encourage me in the Lord. Because I think she could see I was struggling. She was asking the question to help me. And God, he's asking the question. And many people say he's asking the question to reprimand Elijah. And maybe so. I'm not a theologian. 
But I tell you, when I look at it, I see God saying, Elijah, answer the question, and let me hear what you have to say, and I'm going to listen. And what Elijah's saying here is, I, 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 I. And I get like this too. I get selfish. But he's basically saying, like I said to you before, the weight is on him. God asks him the question. And he answers the question. And we'll see, he answers it the same way twice. Exactly. It was almost things didn't change. And then we see this amazing display of God's, God's power. You see the earthquake, you see the wind, you see the earthquake, and you see the fire. I have to see that too. Isn't that like our lives? Isn't there like crazy things that happen? You have COVID. You have all these things that happen in our lives that are so dramatic. And God is showing the power, his power to Elijah. He's showing his power in the wind, in the earthquake, and the fire. But the Bible says he wasn't in any of those. But what he does say, he does say that he was a still, small voice. After going back into the cave, he hears God speaking to him, a small, still voice. He wrapped his face in his cloak and God, that God, and God asked him the same question and Elijah answers in exactly the same way. If we, if me, if you would listen to God's voice, to be able to listen to what he's saying, he wants to speak to you, and if we would just be silent for a moment and listen. And how hard that is. In my life, very rarely am I ever taking time to sit down and just listen. Linda and I were driving in the car yesterday, and it was so nice. We were driving, we had a great weekend, and it was quiet. And what did I do? I turned the radio on. It was, actually, it was nice just having this quietness. What do I do at home when it's quiet? I turn the TV on. What, what do I do? I'm always trying to get noise in my head, but we would listen to God. Because you know what God says to us when we listen to Him? That I am your Savior, and that I love you, and I am your strength, I am your refuge, and I am there for you. He tells Elijah, you are not alone. There's 7,000 Seven, I'm leaving 7,000 people. And here's Elijah saying, I'm alone. I'm all by myself. And that's what the mind will do to you. And it will do to you. It will do to me. You're not alone. And Elijah was not alone. He's saying there's 7,000 people who have not bowed to Baal. An amazing encouragement. Elijah never would have gotten any of this if he didn't spend, he wasn't spending, and God didn't bring him to spend time with him to listen to his voice. Again, let me read Romans. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Psalm 46.10, he says, Be still. Please write this one down and read it later. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that he is God. Blessed is the one who does not walk 
in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his, his word day and night. Spending time with the Lord, listening to the Lord, and you can't do that. I can't do that. If I got my earbuds in and I'm listening to the uh, music or if I'm, I'm you know, turning the TV on or doing all these things to kind of uh, fill up my day. Try it. Try to spend time alone with the Lord. You will not be disappointed. And Elijah was not disappointed. He is not alone. And not only that, God says, I have a new plan for you. It's not going to be as dramatic as it was. It's not going to be like Mount Carmel. It's not going to be like the widow. It's going to be, I want you to go and put other people in service. You're not alone. Not only that, I'm going to give you a partner. I'm going to give you Elisha. Uh, he's going to be the next person to come after you. How much more encouragement could you need? And he says, go. And there he goes. But he comes off the mountaintop with a plan and a purpose that God has now given him. And we're going to look at the call of service. If we continue in verse 19, it says, Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shavat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. He said, Then, and he said, And then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What, I have, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate, and then he set out with, to follow Elijah and became his servant. This is an, an amazing call. My last point here is the call of service. When we see that God is telling Elijah to go call Elisha into service. And if, if you just look at what happens here, it is an amazing example of someone who is already, the Lord has already put it in Elisha's heart. He has already prepared him. This is God's calling. No one else is calling Elisha. God is calling Elisha. And he's using Elijah, Elijah to do it and go to him. And it's amazing. You just see this man, he's wealthy for the time, having 12 oxen alone, having this field. He's a wealthy man. He's hardworking. We'll see he's humble. And he gets the call. And I love Elisha's name. It means, my God is salvation. And we see Elijah put the cloak on him, and that's basically, when he takes his cloak off and he puts it on Elisha, he's saying, I'm taking my power, I'm taking everything that I have, and I'm giving it to you. And it's not for a little time, because Elisha does follow him, and he becomes his servant. And that will be another sermon for another time. But we see Elisha, he just abandons his life. The life that he has when he gets called from God, he just abandons. We know that because... He destroys any ability to make a living at what he was doing before. He destroys everything he could ever go back to. He, he destroys his plows, he burns them, and he kills the oxen that is his life, lifeline to eating. 
And, and then what he does is he takes them and then he has a party. But in between all that, he asks Elijah, can I go back? I, I want to say goodbye. And immediately I thought, oh no. That's like you read in the New Testament when someone says, hey, you know what, I want to follow you, but can I go back and you know, bury somebody? And those are excuses. This is not an excuse. This is, I am finished with this life. I am following you, and I'm going to throw a party. This is amazing to me. He's humble, hardworking, and God has prepared him to do all of this. I love another verse to write down. Hebrews 12, 1-2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the, endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This call on Elisha's life is an example of God's grace and mercy on him, and he accepts it. And he says, he didn't, no excuses, nothing. He's all in. In closing, I, I thought, let me look and see if I could find a missionary like that. Let me look, and someone maybe we haven't heard of before, and I'm going to say her name wrong. It's Mary Slesher. I'm sure I didn't say her name right, but uh, she was a, a Scottish young woman, and she grew up in a very, very tough time. Her dad uh, had a drinking problem, so much so that the family was so poor that uh, at the age of five or six, a young age, get this, had to work from like six in the morning to six at night in the mills. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I cry like a baby when I close the branch and I, I got to, you know, at five o'clock and I think that's long. <laughs> you know, imagine working in those kind of conditions. And she, she was in such a bad strait. Her dad was in such a bad way, and her family was, she lost a lot of her siblings, but they called her Mighty Mary, because you would not mess with Mary. And she was this type of person, and they said what happened was, when she was young, she would read a lot of books, and her mother was a Christian, and she filled her mind with the things of the Lord, and she served in a mission. And these young hoodlums, what they call them, these young kids that were mean, they said, we're going to get this lady. And one of the kids took a steel, a steel ball and wrapped it in rope or string and swung it and swung it and swung it and came close to Mary. And Mary did not move. The story goes she didn't move at all, so much so that the steel ball grazed her face. The courage in standing there enabled her to everyone talking about her, but then to minister to these young boys who a lot of them came to know the Lord. An amazing story. And then she heard of David Livingston, who was a missionary to Africa, and he passed away, and she felt the call in her life to go to Nigeria. And she became a missionary for the rest of her life. You're just thinking about the call on people's lives to serve him, and we are no different. We may not be going to Africa, we may not be doing all these things, but we serve here at New Village, and God has put a call on your life to serve him. And we're just going to pray at the end. There's going to be weight of that service, but there's glory in that too. 
And just think of your call, that God has called you, that he has given you the strength and the power and the might to do the call that he's given you and to serve him. But it has to be that you are listening to his voice and going to him every single day, if not every single second and minute. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Again, I always say I thank you for just being with, being with me as I speak, and I know I babble sometimes and just take, if I said anything wrong, I'm sorry, Lord, and I, I pray that you forgive me for that, and I just pray that you would just bless what you want me and others to hear about you, that you are a great God, and that you put us into service for your glory and for your honor and for the world to know you. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to think about the service you put us in, that, there, that when we do feel the weight of service, the weight of ministry, the weight of life, that you would be our refuge and our strong tower, and that we would come to you and see your glory, and that we would praise you. And we thank you, Lord, each one of us, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the calling that you put in our lives to serve you and to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to people in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.